tonight, could it be that the city of Brampton is a municipality devoid of ethics thanks to sneaky Patrick Brown? It's Thursday, July 29th, 2022. I'm David Menzies, and this is the Ezra Levent Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. Is it possible that the city of Brampton, under his horrorship, sneaky Patrick Brown, is quite literally a municipality without integrity? Here's the skinny. We are still trying to find a modicum of justice when it comes to at least seven city of Brampton staffers who were working on the now thankfully aborted Patrick Brown campaign for leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada. Not only were the staffers doing brown business as opposed to Brampton business, some of them were actually jet-setting around Canada with the sneaky one. None have proven that they took leaves of absence, so their actions violate everything from the Canada Elections Act to the City of Brampton Code of Conduct. We have the photographic and video evidence of their shenanigans, but it's been more than a month since we outed them and nothing tangible has occurred in terms of penalties or even criminal charges. Oh, sure, the CPC has ousted Brown, but that was due to a separate violation of the rules. Uncanny. Patrick Brown and scandal. They kind of go together like peanut butter and jam, don't they, folks? Now, we've contacted the City of Brampton media relations team regarding these staffers, but no callbacks. And we've been reaching out to the city's chief administrative officer, Paul Morrison. He hasn't returned our emails. And when you call his phone number, you get a busy signal. <laughs> no, I swear. When was the last time you heard a busy signal? 1982? So last week, we ventured out to Brampton City Hall and we hand-delivered a dossier outlining all of Brown's shenanigans in terms of apparently using city staff to help him with his ill-fated campaign. And to date, the CAO, Morrison, hasn't even had the decency to acknowledge receipt of that package. As I understand things, when presented with the dossier, he allegedly took sick leaves. And when his sick leave was over, he then went on vacation just to avoid addressing the myriad issues that we raised, apparently. <laughs> Again, how unprofessional can you get? Or is this a matter of everybody in the city of Brampton is beholden to the vindictive lying liar that is Patrick Brown and that no city staffer dares to make waves? Now, folks, it was suggested by some viewers of previous reports that we should reach out to the city's integrity commissioner, Maniza Sheik. The reason I didn't bother contacting Ms. Sheik in the first place is that she is, well, a Patrick Brown stooge. You see, when Brown first got elected in Brampton in 2018, one of the first orders of business was to appoint a brand new integrity commissioner. And Maniza is a personal friend of Patrick Brown. Green, green, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, sign them all. Holy conflict of interest. And Brown's gal pal, well, she sure came through for the mayor 
when we caught the sneaky one secretly playing hockey in Brampton with his very friends some two years ago. Now, I don't have any issue with the best game you can name, except for this. Back in the summer of 2020, Brampton was perhaps the most locked-down city in our entire dominion. Baseball diamonds and soccer pitches and kiddie playgrounds, they were all no-go zones. And Brown even hired Paladin security guards to serve as the city's snitches. They would spy on the rec facilities, and if anyone was, oh, you know, kicking a ball around or going down a slide or whatnot, well, these Paladin punks would call City of Brampton bylaw enforcement officers who would rush to the rescue, ticket books in hand. And yet, while the children of Brampton were forbidden from playing games, not so Patrick Brown. He was playing shinny on a weekly basis. Check out our infamous video footage when we caught Mayor Brown crimson-handed. Well, folks, um, we're getting the bums rush, but holy mackerel, I think I see Patrick Brown himself. Oh, hey, how you doing? Mr. Brown, right? David Manzi's a rebel new. You're, you're in a city facility? What's that? You're in a city facility? Yeah, so are yeah. you. Yeah. So, are you yeah. playing hockey here? Or? No, I'm just coming to check in our facility. So, okay, I'm going to we're gonna check you. You're, you're not supposed to be here, actually. Okay. We were told that uh, you play pickup here. Mr. Brown, how come uh, the kids in Brampton can only practice sports, but your buddies can play hockey? Yeah, so... Um, I don't know why um, you are harassing people in the city of Brampton, but you shouldn't be. Oh, who's harassing who? Your, you, your, your guy handed out 122 bylaw violations in one week. Mr. Brown, why is there a hockey game going on in this arena? I thought you're only allowed to uh, practice sports, not play them. And who is paying the $1,000 a day, Mr. Brown, for this rink? Mr. Brown, are these taxpayer dollars being used for your buddies to play hockey on this rink? Or are you paying it? Or perhaps we'll lead Solomon. So Mr. Brown, why is it one law for me and one law for thee in this city? Mr. Brown. Now, in the aftermath in our quest for fairness and justice, our superb lawyer, Aaron Rosenberg, officially filed a complaint with Muniza, the so-called integrity commissioner. Here's the basis for the complaint. Quote, as you may know, the city of Brampton entered stage two reopening effective June 24th, 2020. Ontario's Stage 2 reopening limited indoor sports and recreational fitness activities to use by a business or organization to train amateur or professional athletes or to run amateur or professional athletic competitions. Team sports could not be practiced or played within the facility, with the exception of training sessions for members of a sports team that did not include games or scrimmage games. Informal team practices, scrimmages, or competitions were not permitted, end quote. 
So at the end of the day, Rosenberg stated that it seems as though Brown broke at least four code of conduct rules. And we outlined those rules. And, oh, there was that little matter of video evidence. I thought we had a rock-solid case, quite frankly. Still, we had our suspicions that the fix was in from the get-go. Indeed, Rosenberg noted the following, quote, Our clients are also troubled by your reported ties to Mayor Brown, as reported by the Globe and Mail last year, including your reported public expressions of support for Mayor Brown and reported payments to your husband's company, by the Progressive Conservative Party in 2017. Accordingly, our clients are calling for your recusal and a corresponding independent investigation into Mayor Brown's alleged violations of the Code of Conduct, end quote. So did Ms. Sheik recuse herself? It's Brampton, of course not. She did not. Indeed, when the investigation into Brown's shinny shenanigans were completed, Maniza, the city's so-called ethics watchdog, found no evidence, yeah, no evidence that the mayor violated the city's code of conduct. Well, knock me down with a feather. But wait a second, if it was indeed kosher that day for Brown to be playing hockey, then why did Brown say he was at the arena to inspect the facility? And why didn't he actually, you know inspect the facility as opposed to running away to his getaway car. And if he did mean to simply inspect the facility, why was it his hockey bag was there full of equipment? It makes no sense. Unless maybe that Brown was lying through his teeth and once again lost track of his lies, as compulsive liars tend to do so often. So you can see why we didn't reach out to the integrity commissioner regarding this latest scandal, once bitten, twice shy, as the saying goes. But since I was getting absolutely nowhere with everyone else at City Hall, I figured that just maybe, like that proverbial broken clock, Maniza Sheik is correct at least twice a day. But lo and behold, the city of Brampton is such a shite show these days, folks. You sometimes lose sight of who's who in the zoo. Which is to say, it turns out that a few months ago, Maniza Sheik herself was fired by the city. As chronicled in The Pointer, an online publication that is doing superb work covering the ongoing nonsense in Brampton, Sheik was given the boot after a two-hour closed-session discussion back in March. One of the reasons seems to be purely financial. In the course of two years, Muniza had billed the city of Brampton more than $660,000 for what was essentially part-time work. But it wasn't just the money. It was also her unethical relationship with Brown, the pointer quoted Duff Conacher, a legal scholar and director with Democracy Watch, who noted that Maniza's ties to Brown tainted her credibility as Brampton's integrity commissioner. And one of the examples cited was, you guessed it, Brown's hockey hijinks during the lockdown. As the pointer noted, quote, despite clear evidence and witnesses that said Brown, 
who was caught on video at the rink by media outlet Rebel News, was there to play hockey, Sheik accepted his claim that he was not there to play hockey. Sheik accepted his claim that he was not there to play even though the video footage shows a hockey bag next to him with his name on it, filled with equipment, and players who said on camera that Brown was a regular at the game, which was not allowed under pandemic rules at the time, end quote. <laughs> oh, the karma. But on sober second thought, does it really make sense trying to get a modicum of justice when it comes to bumbling Brown's rule-breaking and ethical violations by reaching out to any City of Brampton staffer? Enough is enough. This has to be taken to the next level, which is to say it is high time for law enforcement to get involved. So how about it, RCMP? We've already done all the heavy lifting for you. You have all the evidence on a silver platter. What the HE double hockey sticks are you waiting for? In the meantime, the city of Brampton continues to exist as a biosphere of the bizarre, a cauldron of corruption, Brown's own personal fraudulent fiefdom. And this shyster wanted to be Premier of Ontario? And this compulsive liar wanted to be Prime Minister of Canada? Again, enough is enough. Indeed, folks, to quote the Joker from the 1989 Batman movie, This town needs an enema. process of reconciliation, Pope Francis traveled to Canada earlier this week to essentially apologize to any who were affected adversely by the residential school system of yesteryear. He touched down in Edmonton, Yukon, and of course, traveled to Quebec City, where my guest, Alex Lavoie, was there to report on the pontiff's visit. And joining me now is indeed Alexa Laval. How are you doing there, Alexa? I'm pretty good, thank you. And you, David? Oh, doing great. Thanks for asking. So, Alexa, um, the Pope uh, spoke to, I think, 60,000-plus people at Edmonton's Commonwealth Stadium. Then he flew out to Quebec. Uh, you went to cover the event. How did things go? So... Um... First of all, he arrived really late on the first day. Uh, his uh, flight was postponed, and afterwards, he postponed all the events. So he was supposed to arrive on the Abraham Field um, and at the Citadel around, I think at the beginning, was supposedly to be three in the afternoon and uh, being on the field about four in the afternoon. But at the end, he arrived at around seven at night. Uh, so it was really a long day to wait, but uh, the crowd was there. A lot of people were really excited to see him and um, everything went well uh, the both of the day because t this morning I went to uh, the Basilica's Titan de Beaupré, and uh, it's where he did give another uh, apologize uh, ceremony there. And um, so a lot of people were there. Big screen was outside for people uh, that was 
not allowed to be inside, was able to see the ceremony outside as well. The Pope uh, had his pap mobile, that we call, <laughs> and uh, they, they ju he just like passed into the crowd, kissed a lot of baby, and um, yeah, that was, uh, that was uh, something that a lot of people was waiting. I would say that most of the people who were there were mostly um, South America, or Central America, hmm. and a lot of people were uh, Aboriginal as well. So not much uh, French Canadian was there. What I was able to see with my eyes. Interesting. Now, Alexi, you said that the Pope uh, was able to kiss a lot of babies. I, I would think that Premier Legault must be blowing his stack over that. I mean, uh, Quebec was certainly one of the most locked down provinces during the, the pandemic. It was the only one that had a curfew. Um, and now all of a sudden, uh, kissing uh, strangers is okay. I mean, I, I, I'm saying that sort of in jest, but in a way not, because um, look at how many people had their lives made miserable uh, because we were supposed to mask up, stay two meters away from one another. And I guess that's all gone out the window, at least depending on who you are. Yeah, so at the beginning, they took like the Festival of Quebec as a, I would say as a cause of rising case in the um, um, hospital. And now um, the Pope came and now all vulnerable people are in the field, but this is not a problem anymore. But Lego is really promoting, if you're in presence of a vulnerable person, you should wear a mask. But what we saw so far, Lego and Trudeau was in presence of uh, the Pope that is 86 years old and not really in good shape, but none of them was wearing a mask. <laughs> Jeez, you know, I still can't figure out the motive of this COVID-19 virus and who it decides to attack and whatnot. But getting back to the meat of the story, Alexa, um, certainly the Pope is making more, you know, uh, very genuine, it would seem, apologies to me. But there are those that say, hey, words are not enough and that the Vatican has vast resources of wealth. And how about um, compensation? How about getting programs in place to those dozens and dozens of native reserves that still don't have clean drinking water in this year of 2022? How do you feel about that? So first of all, what I heard uh, this morning at the radio, um, the old uh, trip of the Pope in Canada, um, the cost was what they say um, this morning at uh, 98.1, it was about $100 million. On that, a part was paid by the Vatican and the church, uh, of course, but a part was being paid from us. And they, they say that for Quebec, it's about $3 million that we did pay for having the Pope over. But I was asking people, um, what do you think? Should we have invest that money into the community to have a drink, good drinking water and better facilities and um, better like a place to live for them? Or should we have like the Pope over? Uh, some people were, yeah, it's a good thing to have the Pope, but some of them was like, yeah, but we have like on our reserve still 
problem with the running water. So I would prefer to have like drinkable water than to have a popover because it's all my life that is affected by it. And as as for the speech, a lot of people, not all, but some people have told me that the first speech um, in Edmonton was touching and uh, more emotional. Then in Quebec, it was more, it was more look like, uh, it was mixing stuff like Ukraine war with climate change, with Aboriginal uh, problem. So a lot of people was kind of not angry, but yeah, they were angry because they say that it seems not really um, authentic and sincere, especially because he never talked on the name of the church. He did talk on his name, on, 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 on all this process of apologize. And some of people were um, not, not happy of uh, the result of it. Interesting. But you know, Alexa, I can't help but notice I mean, it seems to me that during the pontiff's trip to Canada, Justin Trudeau was giving this vibe of him being holier than thou. And let us not forget that it was Justin Trudeau's father, Pierre Elliott Trudeau. He was prime minister of this country when those residential schools were still in existence. Jean Chrétien as Indian Affairs Minister and later prime minister, under his bailiwick, they were still in existence. Do you find that these individuals are getting off easy and maybe because they're liberals and, of course, the liberal-funded mainstream media, well, they just don't want to bite the hand that feeds, I suppose? But I will say, first of all, um, it's what I asked uh, to some of the people present uh, at the event, um, that the government have a big part of what happened during um, this uh, camp and this color place where we took away uh, the children. But I say, sure, they apologize. All the people who were in charge at that moment, do they should apologize more than the church? Or you should, do you think that the church have more to apologize to? And a lot of people say, yeah, the government have like a big, big role on this. And the under um, subvention, like they, they, they give so low money to these native uh, school where we know that tuberculosis was uh, really high at that time. Mm. Some children die from it. And that is not the fault of the church at this. It's because they didn't have the money to treat correctly the children who were sick. Of course, that doesn't erase the fact that, yes, they were mistreated. They were um, um, probably a lot of sexual abuse. I, I don't know what happened because nobody wants to tell us the truth of what happened there because we don't have any record or maybe they are, but we don't have access to it. But the fact is that the people who were in charge as the Trudeau should apologize for what his, his father uh, did when he was the prime minister at that time. And Jean Chrétien have a part in this responsibility too. So why, why is only the Pope who needs to do a trip all over Canada to three different cities when he's actually really not well in shape and apologize many times when he was not in charge at that time. 
No, uh, well said, Alexa. One last parting question very quickly. Now that we review how the trip went with the pontiff, was it a success? Was it a failure? Was it maybe a mix of both? How do you score it, my friend? Um, I would say this is my personal opinion. I think it's a big fail. Hmm. Uh, first of all, there was not many, many people and uh, the cost of it was really high. And at the end of the day, if we really, really care for climate change, why spending how many carbon footprint there for this trip, uh, for the private jet and all this like moving and and like the pope, the mob, like the car of the pope, what needed to be transported as well, and all the security, all the car involved, and at the end of the day, like everything was closed around, like shop was closed, and and for my part, I don't think, I think in in a week everybody would have forget about it. Interesting. Alexa, thank you so much for being on the ground in Quebec City. Uh, really appreciate your work there. And you have yourself a wonderful weekend, my friend. Thank you, you too. And that was Alexa Lavoie from Montreal. Keep it here, folks. More of the Ezra Event show to continue right after this. Folks, lots of response regarding my monologue yesterday regarding the C40 gathering of mayors. It's almost 100 mayors of major cities, including Mayor John Tory, who are enacting all kinds of crackpot policies, all in the name of uh, climate change. Yeah, thanks, John Tory. I don't need your advice in life to get by. In any event, Fat Ninja writes, have fun riding your vegan bicycle down to the local Starbucks for a cricket frappe. Yeah, really, that's one of the deals when it comes to the climate change argument. We got to give up meat and pork and lamb and all those other delectable animals because they're burping and they're flatulence. Well, it's going to destroy the planet. So we should settle on insects instead. Well, as soon as I see Mayor Tory and company chomping down on mealworms, Maybe then I'll consider it. Cryptos and Espanol writes, government needs to manufacture crisis to make themselves relevant. You know, you're absolutely right. When I go to freedom rallies, folks, I can tell you this, the most passionate demonstrators tend to be those from the former Soviet Union and the Eastern Bloc nations. They've gone through this horror show before. They see it for what it is, the government... Uh, uses a crisis or manufactures a crisis to, you know, take back some of your civil liberties, temporarily, of course. Right? But the, the truth of the matter is, those civil liberties never come back to you. And before you know it, you're under a dictatorship. In other words, they've seen this movie play out. They've seen the ending. It's not happy. And they don't want it to happen here. Jimmy Zhao writes, okay, this made me spit out my coffee. Quote, I'm sorry, ma'am, I'm just reading your breasts, end quote. David can give tutorials on being a pickup artist, LOL. No justice, no nips. Well, folks, if you didn't see the uh, monologue, that refers to um, the fact when Dufferin Grove Park 
was being cleared out of hobos, uh, there was this um, plump woman that came running up to me, topless, and she had all kinds of messages uh, written on her breast. Hey, I'm all for freedom of expression, but I just couldn't read the words properly. And the words were no justice, no peace. But in the bigger picture, here's the deal. Mayor Tory is telling us how to live our lives in the name of greater cities the world over. And yet he can't keep his backyard in Toronto clean. If you look at the number of tent cities, the number of hobos taking over, that ludicrous Afro-Indigenous rising encampment that lasted three weeks right on the doorstep of Toronto City Hall. Give me a break, Mayor Tory. Clean up your own mess first and then worry about our uh, alleged messes later. And by the way, you are a municipal mayor. You're not a premier. You're not a prime minister. Shouldn't your role be, you know, picking up the garbage, making sure the water is clean, fixing potholes? Yeah, I know it's very mundane for you, Mr. Mayor, but it kind of affects our lives in a profound way. Well, folks, that wraps up tonight's edition of the Ezra Event Show. Thanks so much for tuning in. The big boss man, Ezra, he'll be back tomorrow, Friday. In the meantime, as always, stay sane. Juan Mendoza with Rebel News. We're back here in Tampa, Florida at the Student Action Summit, and I have with me right now Julio Rosas from Town Hall Media. Thank you very much for talking with us at Rebel News. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, um, you recently, uh, you recently published a book talking about your experience with the 2020 riots. And uh, you were a big, um, you're one of the big reporters that were reporting at the scene and all across the U.S. when all that was happening. So tell us more about that. How's that been? Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, the book's called Fiery But Mostly Peaceful, The 2020 Riots and the Gaslighting of America. Um, you know, I, I didn't set out when everything was happening to, to, to have the end goal of writing a book. It, ju it just sort of just kind of happened in the sense that they just kept happening in 2020. I, like, I thought they would stop at some point, but, you know, they, they, they didn't. And so I, 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 was, I was at a lot of places, Minneapolis, Kenosha, Chaz, and uh, Seattle. I was at the Portland Federal Courthouse siege. Uh, so I, I saw a whole bunch of things that, that were happening and that were obviously, uh, you know, making a lot of impacts on the 2020 election and politics in general. And so... Uh, you know, I, I decided to write things down, but I also wanted to include uh, people who were victims of the riots because, you know, unfortunately, uh, a lot of people who were on the pro-rioting side, they were trying to minimize their, their, their plight because they say, well, you know, if they were a business owner, for example, they, they would say, oh, well, you have insurance, you know, it's just a building, who cares? Uh, but these are people's livelihoods that, that, were, that were, in some cases, completely destroyed. And uh, not to go too in the weeds, but insurance doesn't necessarily cover riot damage. And so it, it, it was set out to, 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 to have a definitive account, a firsthand account, about all these uh, very destructive events, uh, while also just, uh, you know, cementing things in writing. Uh, because this is, this is history. You know, I mean, we're going to be talking about... Uh, 2020 and the riots, similar to the way that we talk about Los Angeles in 1992, or, or you know, this, you know, the, you know, the hot summer of '68 and '69. So, uh, it, it, it took it took a while. It, you know, it took it, it, it was it was a good endeavor. Daily Wire published it. I'm, I'm thankful for that. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I never thought I'd be an author, but you know, here I am. 
Yeah, and it's good that uh, good reporters like you were on the ground there showing the reality of what was going on. Meanwhile, the legacy media was trying to frame it as the summer of love, you know? Uh, so, Julio, so another thing that you've been uh, reporting on as well, uh, you, I've been at the border with you doing uh, reports there uh, many times. So, uh, what have you... Have you seen anything new down there since the last time you went down to the border? I mean, the thing that's kind of crazy is, you know, I, I, I've been covering the border since 2019. It was under President Trump, so obviously things were very, very different back then. Um, and so when I started covering the border, when things started to unravel back in, I mean, it really started to kick up in March of last year, uh, under, you know, when, after Biden came into office. It was just, it was just startling to see uh, you know, over 200 people illegally crossed the border in one area within the span of two, three, four hours. Today, we're getting groups of like 500. I mean, like it, like it's insane how it, it's gotten worse. I mean, it's and it's not slowing down. I mean, you, uh, you know, here, we're here in Tampa, right? That we got similar to the you know the the humidity and heat that they're getting in McAllen, Texas, right now, or you know Del Rio or Eagle Pass, and. Yeah, can you imagine? I mean, like we're, we're complaining about, oh, it's so hot in our suits and, and all this other stuff. But I mean, can you imagine trying to, you know, in, in the hands of smugglers, uh, trying to illegally cross the border in this heat with, you know, oftentimes no water, no food or, or anything like that? I mean, it's it's insane just how uh, uh, inhumane the border has become. I mean, don't get me wrong. The border has been a problem for a very long time. It's just that like with everything else under this administration, the, you know, Biden has seemed to make an effort to make things 10 times worse on purpose. So, you know, today, I'm just shocked at how bigger the groups have gotten, how more consistent they've gotten, all the different areas that, you know, normally they've never seen activity like this before. Um, and so, and, and it's all just to speak that this is a problem, number one, but also too, it's a very fixable problem. You know, they, they just need to, you know, the, the White House just needs to go back to what was happening two, three years ago. Uh, but obviously they're not going to do that because, you know, Trump is racist or, you know, whatever you want to say.